Good morning, Covenant College. Thank you so much for coming to chapel this morning. It really means a lot to me that you guys would choose to be here of your own free will this morning. Um, it's my privilege to introduce our chapel speaker this morning. So allow myself to introduce myself. That's an Austin Powers reference uh, for some of you. Um, my name is Derek Halverson. I work in the President's Office at Covenant College. I'm delighted to be with you this morning. And what I'd like uh, to talk to you guys about this morning um, is success. And to get us started uh, in thinking about success, I want to read to you what is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, from Genesis chapter 5, uh, you may begin to question my sanity um, as I read this to you, but I hope that you will bear with me. Um, so, from Genesis chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and other sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and had other sons and daughters. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. All the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered his son and called his name Noah. And it keeps going. That was like a, a page straight out of the Reverend Lowe playbook, reading scripture to you. Um, all right, so I, I just read a genealogy and I can promise you that in whatever book there is about how to deliver a great chapel talk, it does not recommend begin by reading a genealogy. Um, but I want to ask the question, what's unusual in this passage or what stands out in this passage? Um, certainly when I was a kid, if you had asked me that question, I would have said, whoa, like Methuselah, verse 27, the oldest human being on record, 969 years old. Uh, but from a literary uh, or a textual standpoint, the most notable exception in this passage um, is this. Everyone lives. Everyone has a son and some other kids, and everyone dies, except for one person, and that's Enoch. Uh, in verses 21 to 24, Moses writes, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. 
What I'd like to do in our little bit of time together this morning is think about three things. Um, first of all, what Enoch uh, gets noted for in this passage. And then secondly, what Enoch does not get noted for. And then I want us to think about what that might mean for you and for me as we think about success in this life. So first, what does Enoch get noted for? Um, well, he walks with God. Um, in both verse 22 and verse 24, uh, it says that Enoch walked with God. Everyone else lived. Enoch walks with God. Now, you guys, I know, are aware that walking is a fairly common metaphor in the Bible for uh, the character or the inclination of our life. Um, it gets used this way in a lot of famous passages. You guys all know probably Psalm 1, verse 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks, in the count, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or you've probably heard Paul in Colossians 1, verse 10, write uh, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a rich biblical metaphor for our life before God. And we could spend, if we wanted to, the entire chapel uh, time talking about and unpacking the meanings of uh, that metaphor. I'll just m mention a few things. For one thing, uh, walking is slow. Um, it's, it's methodical. It's different than sprinting. And in many ways, our Christian life, our Christian growth can be slow, uh, not like a sprint. Um, it's purposeful. It's how you get from point A to point B. Um, you point yourself at a target and you walk there. Um, sometimes we wander, but we have a different English word for that. It's wander. And um, generally, we walk to a destination. It's how we get from one place to another. Uh, walking is also something that has to be learned. Um, we have to be taught how to walk. Um, none of us come out of the womb knowing how to walk, um, no matter how gifted we may be uh, athletically or otherwise. Um, and finally, walking is a process, uh, much like our sanctification is a process. It involves taking individual steps, uh, one after the other, but typically when we walk, we don't obsess over the individual steps. We, uh, we have our eyes pointed toward a target, um, and we take steps in light of our desire to get to that, our target. We focus on our destination. Um, so Enoch is notable in this passage because he, it says, walks with God. He's notable for his methodical, his purposeful, his faithful walk with God. But I want to think, too, about what Enoch does not get noted for uh, in this passage. What makes him outstanding in the sight of God? Um, did Enoch go to a highly ranked, prestigious university? Uh, perhaps something in the ancient Ivy League, uh, the University of Babylon or something like that? Um, was Enoch the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? Um, was he the governor of Mesopotamia, uh, the president of the ancient Middle East? Did Enoch play quarterback for the ancient Sumerian equivalent of the New England Patriots. That was for Reverend Lowe as well. Um, was Enoch featured on ancient ESPN? Um, was Enoch the pastor of a megachurch? Did he win thousands of souls to Christ? Um, was Enoch a lawn care specialist? Was he a plumber? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us anything about what Enoch did. Um, doesn't answer those questions about his earthly accomplishments or his achievements. Um, or the roles that he might have played that would have made him so exemplary, uh, so noteworthy, or so successful in the eyes of God uh, that God would take him up. So what does that tell us about, or what does that suggest about how the Bible defines success? Um, and how does that comport or match up with 
the way our world tends to define success or how we sometimes define success, um, what it looks like to be successful. And, and how will you guys, as you go on out into the world, how will you define success? Um, I have a younger brother who was my roommate here at Covenant. He's a professor at an Ivy League institution now. Um, I won't throw that institution under the bus since this is going to get put on the internet. Um, I, and he was frustrated several years ago. He called me and he was bummed out because a bunch of students had dropped his class. And, um, and when they came to him to ask for uh, guaranteed A's and he said no, they would drop the class. And he was kind of bummed out that was happening at a prestigious institution. And I said, well, you know, what does it mean for students at your school to be successful? And he clearly was in a depressed mode probably, maybe being a little bit more cynical than he might have been otherwise. But um, he said, yeah, I think for most of my students, success is a job that pays them well enough to have a condo in Manhattan and a BMW. Well, how does our culture think about success or what are the markers of success in our culture? Is it um, a shiny new car and a second home at the beach, uh, doing something great, founding a company, Apple or Google? Um, is it, in our world, doing something great for Jesus? Does that make you successful? I certainly wrestled with this question um, when I was in your seat, when I was a student at Covenant. Um, I got into some great colleges. Um, I got a nice scholarship at Covenant. Um, I felt like I had some gifts. I wanted to do something great for the kingdom of Christ. And then I got to my senior year, and I applied to graduate schools, and I got into this many of the graduate schools that I applied to. And for those of you who can't see in the back or in overflow, that is a goose egg. Um, no grad school acceptances after having gotten into some great, prestigious, well-known undergraduate institutions. Um, and I, I felt like a failure, uh, and I got depressed and um, actually had a very fortunate run with one of my professors who I was moaning to about the fact that I didn't get into grad school and I was going to have to go do something, uh, you know, menial, not, not fitting someone with my gifts or whatever. And, and and he really challenged me, um, first of all, not to, to look down on other occupations or callings I hadn't considered before, but then to think about what it meant um, in God's eyes to be successful. And in the wake of that conversation, uh, a guest speaker came to chapel and um, spoke on this chapter, Genesis 5. Um, and here's what he suggested, and what I would like to suggest to you, Genesis 5 has to say to us about success, and that is that God doesn't necessarily call us to do great things. Um, he calls us to walk faithfully with him. And I'm, I'm not saying that he won't choose to do great things through you. Um, he very well might. In fact, knowing the track record of Covenant College alumni, I wouldn't find that surprising at all. Uh, but he doesn't need for me or for you to do great things. Now, I want to quickly say, since there may be faculty listening to this talk as well, um, that I'm not saying you don't have to do anything. Um, I'm not suggesting it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, it does. You guys certainly know the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Master goes away, leaves three servants behind, gives five talents to one servant and two talents to another servant and one to the third servant. And you remember what happens. The, the servant who gets five talents um, invests those talents and makes something of them and earns a return on those talents. Uh, likewise, the servant who gets two talents invests those talents and makes something of those talents and earns a return. And the servant who gets one talent, you know what he does? He, he buries that talent, right? Doesn't, doesn't make anything of it. And when the master comes back to the servants who 
did something with the talents that had been given to them, the master says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Um, do you remember what he says or what happens to the servant who didn't do anything with the talent that his master had given him? Um, which, of course, is ultimately the master's talent. Um, well, that, that servant gets cast into outer darkness. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. You'd have to get someone from the Bible theology department to unpack that for you. Uh, but it's clear that um, it's pretty serious, right? It matters what you do with the talents that you've been given. It matters that you put them to work. Um, elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus says that to whom much is given, much will be required. And you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, where Paul writes, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Um, you guys have been given good gifts. I know that simply by virtue of where you're sitting uh, right now. Your covenant education is a gift. Uh, what you've learned from faculty, from staff, from coaches, uh, the relationships that you've built with hallmates, uh, with classmates, um, with the people that are sitting around you right now in this chapel, um, those are all good gifts. As a, as a fellow Scott, I'm the recipient of similar gifts. Um, and with those gifts, we are called to faithful service, uh, to make the most of the talents that we've been given uh, while walking with the one who's redeemed us and who's made us his own. Uh, but God isn't concerned with our ambition or our desire for distinction. Um, even our ambition to do great things for him, uh, to become distinguished in the eyes of men so that we can uh, share some of our glory with God. And I think this is an ever-present temptation for those of us who are the beneficiaries of uh, a rigorous education. Uh, in the spring of 1814, Timothy Dwight, who was the eighth president of Yale College, now known as Yale University, uh, gave the baccalaureate address to Yale's graduating class. Um, and the title of his address was On the Love of Distinction. Um, and in it, he warned Yale's graduates, uh, many of whom would go on to leadership roles in government and in the church. Uh, he warned them of the dangers of the love of distinction, even for those who were pursuing noble careers. And he wrote this, uh, But among all the passions which mislead and danger and harass the mind, none is more hostile to its peace, none more blind, none more delirious than the love of distinction. And I think the simple message of Genesis 5 for us is this. Uh, God doesn't need me um, or you or anyone else in this room to become distinguished in order that he might be glorified. Um, in fact, if you know the whole of Scripture, you know that uh, he needs us so little, he actually calls us um, to die. Uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Um, that point was really driven home for me uh, by the college graduation gift I received from my mom. And I realized uh, this morning as I think about this, it was 25 years ago. Um, she knew that I had been wrestling with what it meant to be successful um, as a Christian. And so for my graduation gift, she gave me um, a framed copy of a photograph that I had taken. When I was a student at Covenant, uh, I went to Oxford on study abroad, and while I was at Oxford, I took the train up to Edinburgh, because when you're a Scot, you should go to Scotland. And, um, and so I went to see where John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, um, was buried. 
Knox is buried outside of St. Giles Cathedral uh, on the Royal Mile uh, in the old city of Edinburgh. And um, the graveyard was outside of the church. And so some years ago, they paved over the graveyard. And none of the graves are marked. And so where Knox is buried, there was a small, uh, unmarked, concrete square in the middle of the asphalt. And so I took a photograph of that little square of concrete in the asphalt underneath the front bumper of a red BMW, um, which was sort of ironic, uh, but also to me a little bit frustrating. I mean, Knox is one of the most significant figures in Scottish history, and they just paved over his grave and didn't mark it at all, and I thought, this is ridiculous. And my mother told me, she said, I don't think John Knox is all that concerned about whether or not uh, his grave has a marker on it. And so she gave me a framed copy of that photo, um, and beneath uh, the frame on the matting uh, was uh, this verse. Uh, Micah 6, uh, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And heads up, it doesn't go on to say to be successful in the world's eyes. Um, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so I want you guys to be encouraged um, this morning. Uh, We as believers have been bought by Christ. Uh, We are one with him, united to him by the Holy Spirit. Um, And we are free as a consequence uh, to serve faithfully um, and also to serve fearlessly, uh, to bring every thought captive to Christ, uh, to work out the implications of biblical truth for every dimension of our lives, uh, to seek the welfare of the places to which we've been called, to present our lives as living sacrifices, uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ's reconciling work in this world with others. And we can do those things knowing that our uh, success um, in life lies ultimately in our identity in Christ. Um, The the world will pitch to you. I mean, the world is pitching to you even now a lot of definitions of success. Um, Those definitions are everywhere. They're on TV. uh, They're in movies. They're on the internet. um, They come up in casual conversations. And they, they tend to infiltrate our thinking as Christians. Um, they tend to focus us on ourselves, on our ambition, on our desire for distinction uh, in the eyes of others. Um, and, and even now, those definitions can warp the way you think about the kind of career you might pursue, um, what grad school you might want to go to, um, how you present yourself to others, uh, even others on this campus. Um, the world tells us that to be successful... Uh, We have to do something great, uh, something big, Um, get into a great college, get a great job, um, do something great for our community, uh, do something great for God. Um, Everything's focused on what we do. And I want to say it does matter what you do. Um, It matters that you're faithful with the talents that God has given you, uh, that you're courageous and bold and enterprising and using those talents uh, to serve him. But in the words of 1980s rap superstars, Public Enemy, don't believe the hype. Don't let the world define for you what constitutes success in life. Um, That success is ultimately empty, uh, even when it might seem noble and worthy from the outside, uh, even when the results might be good. Uh, Your value, your worth as a human being doesn't rest in what you accomplish. Um, And that's freeing. That's actually very liberating for us as Christians. If you're confident in where you stand before God, um, you can try hard things. You can pour out your talents 
uh, and your gifts, um, you can even fail. That's okay. Uh, knowing that your success or failure in the eyes of the world doesn't define you. Um, success lies in faithful service to the God who created you. Um, success lies in walking with God. So as you guys pursue your callings here at Covenant, um, as you continue to progress toward the callings that you're being prepared for uh, in the world, as you consider how you're going to define success in this life, uh, what it will mean for you to be successful, um, how you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, um, I want to encourage you, um, I'd like to challenge you, uh, don't believe the hype, die to yourself, like Enoch, walk with God, um, and then put your talents to work. Um, that is true and biblical success. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful for the many good gifts that you have given us, uh, for the blessings that you have poured out on us, for the talents that you have bestowed on all of those in this room. Uh, we give you thanks for those things. We pray that you would give us strength to walk faithfully, putting those talents and those gifts to work, uh, not relying on distinction in the eyes of the world to give us a sense of success, but trusting and resting in your love and your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Father, help us uh, to walk with you um, and in that to find success. We ask in the name of our Savior and our King Jesus Christ. Amen.